Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 16th chapter. Afterward, Jesus appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. This is the gospel of the Lord. There are two types of wrong answers to questions, broadly speaking. There's sincere wrong answers, and there is malicious wrong answers. A sincere answer, a wrong answer, that is, a sincere wrong answer to a question is when you are trying to get the right answer. You're trying to get it right, but you miss the mark. It's like being in geography class. Teacher says, what's the capital of Austria? And you say, Prague. Nope, that's Czechia. You're trying, but you got it wrong. A malicious wrong answer is when you're wrong and you don't want to be right. You're not trying to be right. I had a lot of these when I was a kid in school and in my own confirmation class. Teacher asks a question, and I gave an answer that wasn't trying to be right, but just trying to get a cheap laugh. I was that kid, and sometimes I wonder if karma really does exist, but... That's another thing. Now you're trying to derail with the malicious wrong answer in that sense. But regardless of motivations or reasons, we all know that there are finally in the end right answers to questions and there are wrong answers to questions. The Pharisees got the wrong answer on Jesus Christ and his work and the question of who was he and what was he doing. But sometimes the disciples got the wrong answer too, didn't they? After all of the words that he spoke to them, all of the marvelous events that they witnessed at this pinnacle moment that we heard of in the second reading from Acts today, there they are outside of Jerusalem. Everything should be just tight and squared away in their minds as to who he was, what he had done, what he was going to do, and everything. And then they ask this question. Will you now restore Israel's kingdom? Ugh. Can't believe it. Now, it was an honest mistake for them to ask about this political aim and goal that the Pharisees were so intent on wanting as well. It's understandable, even, I think, that they asked it. Israel had had in its distant past glorious days, power and might, which many people thought that the Messiah, when he came, would restore and set up once again. But the answer, of course, is a polite no. It's not for you guys to know the times, the seasons that the Father has fixed, but you will receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes and you will witness to me to the ends of the earth. And then what happens next, of course? He ascends into heaven. He goes up and is hidden from their sight by a cloud. Now, 
It doesn't say that the disciples standing there in Bethany were disappointed after this exchange and his departure took place. It just says they're looking up, gazing into the heavens. But I don't think it's a stretch to wonder if they were a little nonplussed, a little confused at what had happened. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ had, as he said, risen from the dead. He convinced them and many others by appearing to them that he was alive and again, alive again. So why not stay a little longer and convince more? More with raw power, more maybe even, yes, a little bit of political power, a little bit of a restored kingdom here and there. It's a reasonable thing for them to desire, and I probably would have too if I were in their throng. I would say even to a certain extent it was a good thing for them to desire, but that's not what Jesus was giving them. I say today as we celebrate the Feast of Ascension, thank God for that. Thank God that that's not what the disciples wanted, what he gave to them in the church. Now, at first glance, just kind of looking at the details, the lay of the land, it kind of seems like the disciples and the church were shortchanged by the Lord Jesus in that moment. He says to them a few days earlier up in Galilee, I am with you always, and then he leaves. He says, see with your eyes my hands, my side, look at the marks of my crucifixion, but then he was hidden from their sight. To worldly minds, I think that there is indeed a disconnect with all of this, and really even seems like a big negative. But the fact of the matter is, Ascension, Jesus going into heaven and sitting himself at the right hand of the Father, is a big positive. It has marvelous implications that are wide and far-reaching for the church. Now, some Christians do mistake what ascension means. This is another one of those things that you will get different answers depending on who you talk to and what it says in the sign outside of the church building. Some people think for Jesus to go up into heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father means he's sitting there in a little chair next to the throne, just kind of waiting until he can come back at the end of the world. That his body itself is limited to time and space sitting there by the throne. But their understanding of the reality of Jesus' ascension is in fact far too narrow It doesn't grasp, it doesn't understand what it means for someone to be at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Yes, Jesus is ascended into heaven, but that doesn't mean that he is far away from us, constrained by space the way that we as finite human beings are ourselves constrained. Quite the opposite, the right hand of God means that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the eternal Son of God, has the full power, authority, and attributes of God to be exercised according to his goodwill. And this is all the more driven home by Jesus being hidden by a cloud. A cloud, which we talked about in some of our studies this week, represents the Old Testament presence of God and his glory and power. But wait, there's more. During his ministry, the humiliation of Jesus Christ, as we call it, in the catechism, he didn't use the full power of his divinity, his divine authority. But now at the right hand of the Father, he does have it, and he does use it 
to the full extent. And according, not just to his divinity, his divine nature, but according to both his divine and his human nature, the one person, Jesus Christ, has the power and might of God completely. What does this mean? It means that when Jesus says, I am with you always, he actually can be, and he is. It means that when he says, take eat, take drink, this is my body, this is my blood, it actually is. His body and his blood, he can do it. He can be, as it were, on now Sunday morning, at many altars, all over the country, all over the world, wherever Christians are gathered to celebrate the Eucharistic feast, he can be there at each one of them in his fullness, not a part of him missing. It means that Jesus Christ, our brother, born in flesh, has full power and glory with God the Father forever. So when he says, in the same way you see me go, I will come again, when he says he will come again in glory, he can do it. And we can be sure that he will do it. At ascension, the first ascension, the actual ascensions, the, the disciples got a wrong answer. Really, it was a wrong question. But it was a sincere one. It wasn't malicious. And in the end, they got something far better than what they were asking for and us along with them. Christ ascended into heaven, that he ascended is more than a historical fact. It is that, but it's also this profound truth, this gospel truth. All of our physical, in time and place, just our daily life, all of our needs, all of our wants, our hopes, our expectations, our prayers, they are dwarfed by the glorious reality that Jesus Christ has ascended and sits at the right hand of God the Father. What is it to have an earthly palace or even a kingdom when Jesus says, I have gone to prepare a place for you? What is it to be satiated by food that empties out eventually again when Jesus Christ gives us daily and richly the bread of life? And what is it to be secured from sickness by surgery or medicine when Jesus says, though you die, yet shall you live? The ascended Christ, who is indeed with us always, has authority over all. He is seated at the right hand of the divine power and majesty in heaven. That is indeed the greater thing. And it's the right answer. Glory to our ascended king for it. Amen. We remain seated for the offertory hymn.